Just a quick heads up, this show contains sensitive and graphic material that might not be for everyone. If you don't enjoy in-depth true crime, humor about true crime, and drinking, please don't continue. We want to be respectful of the victims in these crimes, but as for the criminals, we just don't give a shit. Welcome to Crimes and Cocktails, a podcast where we explore true crime while drinking a customized cocktail, created by Tabitha and Katie. Hey guys, it's Tabitha. And I'm Katie. Welcome back to Crimes and Cocktails. This week we are finishing up our fast food series with part two of the Taco Bell Strangler, Henry Louis Wallace. Uh, if you remember, this is that sadistic prick who murdered 10 women in Charlotte, North Carolina in the early 90s. Yeah. Apple <sighs> Bell. And, you know, it's a Cinco de Seth. <laughs> See you today. See you <laughs> We're recording it on Sunday. You guys will get this later this week. I am cracking up, and if any of my coworkers are listening to this, I'm sorry. I still like you, but Taco Bell is not Mexican food. And that should no. not be the place you go to celebrate Cinco de Mayo. Did your coworkers go? Yes. <gasps> oh my god! Here in California, that's a sin. <laughs> I mean, I love Taco Bell. Don't get me wrong, but I do not consider Taco Bell Mexican food. That is like different. Like Taco Bell is its own thing. Yeah, it has its it has its time and its place, but its place is not. Yeah. The bathroom. <laughs> yeah, it's time into places in the toilet bowl. Yeah, uh, but yeah, they went there. Well, like, cause I got off work and we we're all gonna meet up and go out and do stuff or whatever. And they're like, "Well, I'll go to Taco Bell before." And they actually made themselves some. They he well, cause one of my coworkers was like, "Oh, have you ever had one of the like Baja margaritas?" And I thought he was talking about like the actual cantina drink you get from like the Taco Bell cantinas yeah. places. And I was like, yeah, but it's been a long time. Like, I went to one in Vegas and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, what are you talking about? He's like, I just go and get a, uh, a Mountain Dew cantina, whatever the soda's called, the, you know, Baja, Baja Blast. Blast, sorry. Yeah. And he's like, and I just pour some tequila in there. And I was like, oh, <laughs> get him. I mean, <laughs> oh spruce it up. <laughs> and he had that when I saw him. He's like, oh, this is my Taco Bell margarita. And I was like, all right. I guess you got to do what you got to do. We did go to a block party um, out here in Florida for Cinco de Mayo. I guess it's like their third year. And it was, it was cool. It was fun. But I would say it's a fun block party, not a Cinco de Mayo celebration. <laughs> because there was a hibachi girl there. What? <laughs> there was like a... Uh, um, a hot dog stand there there was a burger stand there was one taco place once That's so weird and the guy like doing it clearly either he just didn't give a crap about what he was doing so he was taking a sweet time or he didn't know what he was doing and that's probably it <laughs> i was just like what is this there was an elote guy and i got really excited because there was no line for it the lines were for the tacos so yeah. i went and got one that was not elote. <laughs> Let me tell you. 
<laughs> they took a corn on the cob and he literally put just, I'm not kidding, just mayonnaise and um, cayenne pepper and like some kind of shredded cheese that was not the right cheese. It's all Mexican shreds. <laughs> it's like falote. I was like, uh, what is this? I ate it because I was hungry, but I was like, yeah, this is it's not corn, but like, what the This is not a little thing. And everyone's like, oh, how's the Mexican street corn? I was like, not Mexican. <laughs> but it's okay. They, they did their best. It was pretty fun to see, like, I don't know. I just thought it was hilarious, actually, to see how big Cinco de Mayo is in Florida. It's like a big holiday. How big so. it is and how wrong they do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they had, like, a band playing, and they weren't even playing, like, mariachi music or anything like that. It was, like, 80s cover songs and... Oh, my God. Sure. So Taylor and I went out. We're going to go out to eat at this Mexican restaurant nearby that we like. And we pull up, and the place is popping hard. And I was just like, (laughs) oh, my gosh. I've never seen this place like this before. And then we turn the corner because it has this huge parking lot. And we turn the corner, and there's these tents up everywhere. And it was, like, mariachi, people just making tacos outside. Like, they it was like its own festival in the parking lot of this mexican restaurant and i was like this is lit but then the wait was like two hours we'll go elsewhere we got tacos elsewhere but like yeah and i mean like i don't know i was trying to explain that to my coworkers because i was like you know singing of mayo i feel like back home it's more just like everyone gets together and does something at their house yeah or if anything like that just big giant tents in people's backyards and house parties and stuff but, the um, inflatable jumper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you got your cousin on the DJ, like, <laughs> got a cooler full of tecate, you're good. Yeah. But they were, and they were surprised, they're like, really? They're like, yeah, like, everyone goes out to the bars on that night. And I was like, interesting. Hmm. <laughs> and then, like, a lot of coworkers and people were like, it's just margarita and, and taco day. And I was like, that's every day. <laughs> right? You don't but have to do it on a special day. <laughs> it was it was just honestly, I think it's good to go out and see just how other areas celebrate different things. Like I'm sure there are holidays that we do really big in California that Florida's like, what? Why? <laughs> so yeah. actually I feel like St. Patrick's Day was kind of like that. Right. <laughs> I mean, I was in the middle of nowhere in Florida for St. Patrick's Day, but I didn't feel like anyone was really doing anything. Was St. Patrick's Day the one where you were in that weird, like, yeah. the, the doll heads? You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. Sabering Florida. <laughs> yeah, there was nothing going on around there. So, actually, um, I asked someone who was from the air, and I'm like, oh, so, like, is there a place to go, like, to go out on St. Patrick's Day? And I said, oh, yeah, Jose's. It was a Mexican restaurant. <laughs> that was the place, apparently, to go out on St. Patrick's Day. So, interesting. Just people do different things differently whatever all right so you can either make yourself your own taco bell margarita or you can do our recipe of a little bit fancier twist taco bell margarita the baja double blasted cantina and we have that recipe on our instagram at crimes and cocktails or you can go to our patreon patreon.com crimes and cocktails where it's three dollars to sign up and you'll get early access to episodes a welcome sticker for signing up and you get access to all of our previously recorded single shot minisodes from the last couple of years, which is weird to say, a couple of years. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, it's really been that long. 
<laughs> you two According are still to our episode living. Count. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to apologize. I am having like a little bit of probably like asthma <laughs> or congestion. So if I keep having to like stop to take a breath, I'm sorry, guys. It's just allergies are out of control this spring. So I'm struggling. <laughs> All right. So when we left off last time, we had discussed the brutal murder of 21-year-old Valencia Jumper and the fire that Henry had set to try and cover up the evidence. I just want to make a small correction. Last time I said Vanessa was his sister's friend, but actually he was friends with Vanessa's older sister. So it makes a little bit more sense. Um, He attended Vanessa's funeral and was like comforting her sister and just being this, you know, sick son of a bitch he is. A month later, Henry would murder again. Michelle Denise Crowder Stinson was a 20-year-old struggling college student and a mother of two sons, one and three years old. On September 15, 1993, Michelle's friend James Mays stopped by her apartment to visit her and her kids. James knocked on the front door, but no one answered. He heard the children playing, and I guess they were like knocking on the window kind of, and so he asked them, like, where's your mom? And one of the kids, probably the three-year-old. Yeah, not the one-year-old, the three-year-old. I'm like, damn, she's intelligent. Um, Said, mommy's asleep on the floor. So he thought, okay, maybe they're, I guess he thought they were playing like a card game or something, which I'm just like, I think if I knocked on the door and one of the kids was like, mom's asleep on the floor, I'd be like, wait, what? Like, that seems like, why would your mom just take a nap with you guys like. Running around. Running around, exactly. So I think he was like trying to get in, but he wasn't able to get in. And so he was, I think he was like turning around to leave to maybe go try to find help or someone to call or something. But as Mm -hmm. he turned to leave, the oldest son opened the door. So he immediately picked up the kid and goes inside the apartment and he found Michelle laying on the kitchen floor surrounded by blood. He immediately ran to the phone, but realized the cord had been cut or like jerked off the wall. Mm-hmm. So he took the kids like out of the apartment and went to the neighbor's house to like get a phone and then he called the police. Here's what happened according to the court case records. Dr. Sullivan performed an autopsy on Stinson's body on September 16, 1993. He discovered four stab wounds to the left side of the back. Two of the four stab wounds caused injury to the heart and lungs and were potentially fatal. Dr. Sullivan also observed evidence of ligature strangulation in the form of a band of abrasions and contusions over the front of the neck and small hemorrhages in the skin of the face. Uh, The conjunctiva and internally in the... Yeah, the eyes. (laughs) And internally in the muscles of Stinson's neck. Dr. Sullivan determined that the cause of Stinson's death was stab wounds to the chest with strangulation as a contributing cause. Defendant confessed that he stopped by Stinson's apartment around 11 p.m. with the intention of raping and murdering her. Gosh. They talked for a while, and then defendant got ready to leave, and they hugged. At that point, defendant told Stinson that he wanted to have sex with her, and that he wanted her to remove her clothes. Stinson told defendant that she was sick, but defendant did not believe her and wanted her to produce some sort of medication. (laughs) <laughs> like, like prove like it I want to see no, your kidding. Kidding. yeah <laughs> where's your doctor's note Jeez. um which she could not do um defendant began to choke stinson stinson then are, um agreed to have sex with defendant and removed her clothes 
Defendant told Stinson he wanted her to perform oral sex on him, but she stated she did not know how. Defendant responded, well, you're about to learn. Oh, my God. Stinson then performed oral sex on defendant after having sexual intercourse on the kitchen floor. Defendant administered a chokehold until Stinson became unconscious. Defendant strangled Stinson with a towel he had retrieved from the bathroom. Stinson began to gasp for air, so defendant took a knife and stabbed her approximately four times. Defendant used a washcloth to wipe his fingerprints from a glass, the door, the phone, the wall, and the floor. Before defendant left the apartment, Stinson's oldest son awoke and defendant told him to go back to bed. Oh my gosh. Defendant left through the back door using a towel to avoid leaving fingerprints and threw the knife and washcloth over a fence near the back of Stinson's apartment. Ugh. And like, just to leave, knowing, like to know that her kids are there. Bring and to go back to bed. Yeah, to do that. Her. And I'm thinking too, like she's a one-year-old, like those, those they need like to eat pretty frequently so i would imagine this baby would be crying and yeah i don't know this poor child like i mean i cannot imagine the trauma of that like three years old you don't exactly know what's going on but Mm -hmm. it definitely stays with you i'm sure as he got older yeah realized you know what he had seen and we've all seen dexter (laughs) which is like uh yeah. <clears throat> so at this point, the police have still not connected the dots between these murders. Um, they All that they knew was that Michelle had to have known her killer, and that was all. So all the while, Shauna Hawk, if you remember, we talked about her death in the previous episode. Her mother, Dee Sumter, was campaigning for light to be brought on her daughter's case. She kept proposing the question, like, okay, well, what if my daughter was white? Because she felt like, they're not doing anything like what is going on why are we not like pursuing this and she and other mothers i think had sort of come to conclusion by this time that like (laughs) there is a predator that is targeting black women in this area but the police for whatever reason are not connecting the dots and seeing that so they kept trying to bring awareness she wrote letters to the newspaper she did rallies she like tried to do little mini press conferences and she just kept pushing and pressing for her daughter's case to be solved. She actually ended up forming a support group called Mothers of Murdered Offspring, or they go by Mom-O, which still exists today. Um, I actually went on the website and it was like pretty touching to go on there because they do a lot of help to um, remember like victims and to kind of like just be a support group there for these other parents. And they have, like, candlelight vigils, and they'll, like, fundraise to come up with funds for funerals and everything like that. So I thought that was pretty special. It's been, like, 30 years, and this, you know, it's grown, and it's still going. So that was sad, but beautiful at the same time. In one of her letters to the Charlotte Observer, Dean Sumter wrote a letter that was directed towards her daughter's killer. And she was asking the person to kill her, who killed her daughter... Shauna Hawk to turn themselves into authorities one of the quotes she said was so you can get the help you need and so forgiveness can be given which can you imagine like writing that to the person no I'd be like so I could go fuck you up <laughs> <laughs> like I can't oh, God. 
this is the same woman from the last episode that we were talking about i believe that told her daughter i love you more yeah before yeah she just sounds like the sweetest woman ever like a big heart for sure yeah um in an interview with 2020 she said that she just Mm. felt like called to write that letter because she felt like the killer had a heart and she's like it might be a dark heart but somewhere deep down he has to have a heart and i just thought like I mean, it's a rare person to think that way. Um, Mm -hmm. And I mean, sometimes, yeah, sometimes it does feel really futile trying to reach out to these killers and stuff like that. But I don't know. It's definitely a special lady. Um, Ironically, the same day that her letter appeared in the paper, I think she did it on her daughter's one year anniversary since the death. Mm -hmm. So, but the same day that that letter went out in the paper, so did an article. It was a very small article about another woman who was murdered in her apartment that was actually linked to this, but people did not know at the time. Vanessa Little Mac was 24 years old. Her sister worked at Taco Bell with Henry, and that's how she'd met him. She had two young daughters, the youngest being only four months old. On February 20th, 1994, her daughter's babysitter had arrived to watch the girls so Vanessa could go to work. She worked at the Carolinas Medical Center as a patient's escort. Um, I guess the babysitter thought she was still asleep in bed and yelled at her to wake up like you're going to be late for work. Uh, But when Vanessa didn't move, she turned on the bedroom light and could clearly see that she was dead. She had blood on her face and a towel wrapped around her neck. Now, Henry had taken her wallet and debit card. In her final moments, Vanessa gave Henry the wrong pin. So there's actually footage of Henry about 10.30 p.m. that night trying to access her account and pull money out. But obviously he was denied because of the pin. Um, The footage is dark and all you can really see is that um, is his ear. But from it, police were able to determine their suspect had dark dark skin and a gold. Yes, he had dark sins. (laughs) Also had dark sins, dark heart. Um, (laughs) And a gold hoop earring with a cross on it. Like a pirate. Like a pirate. Arr. I mean, it's kind of like, I feel like it's smart to do that. Like, I don't know. I feel like by her giving him the wrong pin, a part of me kind of thinks that she knew what was going to happen. Yeah. But she thought like, maybe this will alert, you know, my bank or something that something happened, you know, or also part of me thought too, like all these women are these like young, hardworking moms, like young moms of kids. She's a four-month-old. Yeah, so I'm sure she's, like, thinking, like, I've worked hard for that money. That money needs to go to my kid, like, not to you for your drug addiction. Like, yeah. So, like we said, these cases are not linked. Um, They're all being investigated as individual cases. However, like we said earlier, the women of Charlotte in the black community were pretty aware that there's a predator targeting well, them then, you know he's killing all these young women and it seems like he's killing a lot of them who have some sort of relation to fast food because and a lot of them i think they're there. all in the same neighborhood and, and they're getting strangled with towels yeah <laughs> like it doesn't like how that is how I they're mean, not connecting it it's yeah just, it makes me it's because they didn't want to yeah. deal with it but it just ugh, it's so frustrating and like even like i think we we touched a little bit on this last episode just you know the police coming out with like you know we were really overworked and blah 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 and even in um one of the episodes i saw in 2020 about this same thing they're like it was yeah. hard it was stressful overworked i'm just like but towels 
that right yeah. there. Like, you should be walking, you know, just talk. If you're talking with one of the detectives, like, oh, that's interesting. Your victim was also strangled by a towel. So was mine. Like, yeah. How is that not more clear? It's just strangling is not, it's not the most common way. Yeah. <clears throat> Especially by towels. So interesting. Okay. So this is where it really starts to. This is where they actually kind of get their shit somewhat together. Unfortunately, too late, but things are so evident and just so clear that there's no denying that there's a serial killer. So on March 9th, 1994, 18-year-old Brandy June Henderson was was at her home in the Lake Apartments in Charlotte. She lived there with her boyfriend and her 10-month-old son, Tyrese. And I was watching um, an interview with her cousin, and I guess when she had her son, she said that her son was, like, her life's greatest masterpiece, which I thought that was a sweet thing to say about her son. On this night, Brandy had called her cousin to ask him if he wanted to come over and hang out. She said she had, you know, just gotten some Chinese food, and he should just come over and hang out. He said he was really tired. He had just worked a really long day. But, you know, he's like, I'll call you tomorrow and like maybe drop by then. And as they're on the phone, her cousin heard a knock on the door and um, Brandy got up to go open the door. And he heard Brandy say to someone, oh, just lock the door behind you. And so she said goodnight to her cousin. And that was that. I guess her cousin didn't really like ask like, oh, who's that? Because he's like, she's not going to tell someone to just come in and lock the door behind him if it's not someone she doesn't trust especially like with her son Tyrese there so he wasn't really worried later that night Brandy's boyfriend comes home from work and her boyfriend worked um, he was friends with Henry and worked at the same Taco Bell so that's how Henry knew her he's like oh I know he's at work right now yeah let me just get in real quick yep And the first thing that her boyfriend noticed is that all the lights are off, which is unusual because he knew whenever Brandy was home, she'd always at least leave one light on, especially for him, like if he's going to be coming home late from work. So he turns on the lights and he sees that the apartment is just in shambles. It's trashed. His stereo's missing. There's just stuff all over the place. So he's like, okay, what the heck happened here? Excuse me. So he goes to his son's bedroom And he sees his son in his crib with a pair of shorts. This is really hard to hear. Sorry. But a pair of shorts are tied around his 10-month-old baby's throat. Um, His son is still breathing. Yeah. It's like, I can't. I saw pictures of, like, the baby and it's just, His son is still breathing, but he's, like, barely breathing. Like, he's struggling. Like, he's suffocating slowly. So he helps his son. He removes that, you know, right away, picks up his baby, goes to try and find Brandy, and he finds her dead on the bed with a towel wrapped tightly around her neck. Oh, you got some police action going on back there. (laughs) Oh, yeah. In the city. (laughs) (laughs) We're like where we live. It's like where all the rich people in Sacramento live. Not us. But <laughs> well, like, oh really? <laughs> and so I'm like always shocked when I hear a whole bunch of sirens because we rarely ever hear them. But I guess they're on full force out today. Some granny's probably stealing something. It's like when I lived in Carmel <laughs> and people call the cops on someone for mowing their lawn too loudly. <laughs> yeah, like that's what this kind of area is. Oh my god. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> he finds Brandy, and um, yeah, she's she's passed. So it had come. They figured out though that Henry, or at this time the killer, because they don't know it's Henry, had not only stolen the stereo, but there was a can, a Pringles can, like one of those big tall ones, that Brandy had been putting coins and like dollars and change in. She'd been like saving. She'd been putting in, there and that was missing. So, do you think he was like really thought there were coins in there or thought it was a snack at first? Uh, ELC. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, here is what I found in the court case notes Wallace being Henry and Woods being Brandy's boyfriend. So, Wallace had dropped by pretending he had something to leave for Woods, um, his friend. Uh, he and Brandy, it says Henderson, but I'm just going to change names to make it less confusing. He and Brandy talked for a while, and then Henry asked for something to drink. When Brandy reached into the cabinet, Henry choked her and told her to go into the bedroom. Henry demanded money, and so Brandy gave him the, the Pringles can filled oh. with approximately $20 of coins. <laughs> That's what this poor girl had. of coins and he apparently decided that was enough to kill her for it so he tells Henderson to remove her clothes which she did Henderson grabbed her baby laid him across her chest and turned his head away so he would not see what was going on because she loved her son that much Henry raped her with her baby laying across her chest that is so just i mean already was evil but yeah (laughs) it's like no words yeah like this this case literally made me emotional (laughs) like really emotional um afterwards wallace told henderson to put her clothes back on wallace went into the bathroom he got a towel he wiped off everything then he folded the towel and put it around her neck and strangled her to death. He also tied the towel in a knot around her neck. Her son started crying, so at first Henry gave him a pacifier. He looked for something for the baby to drink, but could not find anything. So Henry then took another towel and tied it tightly around the baby's neck so that it would be difficult for him to breathe and he would stop crying. And then he laid um, the baby back down, like in its crib Um, then he disconnected the stereo and loaded it into this car and the tv and before leaving he took the chinese food that had been delivered yeah confiscate yeah and this too and he sold the television the stereo for 175 dollars so all of that for what 200 dollars and some chinese food yeah that's just disgusting like on every yeah every level and like the kid did survive Tyrese he survived and um ABC actually ended up interviewing him like several years later and he is just I mean he's our age but he's just such a happy guy like he um Obviously, there's a lot of pain, like knowing that he lost his mother that way and knowing yeah. how much his mother loved him and everything like that. But 
like the interview with him, he was like, you know, I survived and I want to make my mom proud. And he had a wife, he had kids. You could tell it was just like a really loving family. So that was kind of sweet to see for sure. So horrible. All right. So the very next day, police are called back to the lake apartments. 24-year-old Betty Jean Bocum had not shown up for work. She was the manager at Bojangles, and so her mom called for the police to do a welfare check on her. Betty Jean, or as her friends and family called her, Susie, was found strangled on the floor. Apparently, had first gone. Um, apparently, Henry had first gone to the lake apartments that Tuesday earlier in the day to see Brandy, but saw that her boyfriend's car was there. Brandy's boyfriend was friends with Henry and since you know they worked at the Taco Bell together so he then decided to knock on Susie's door after seeing her car was there like she was just oh cool her car's here I'll just hit her up yeah he knew Susie through his girlfriend at the time because she worked at Bojangles with her Um, and this was the same Bojangles location Caroline Love had worked at as well he asked Susie if he could use her telephone. She let him in. He acted like he was looking up a number, but then when she turned her back, he put his hands around her neck and asked for the combination to unlock the safe at Bojangles. He had robbed Bojangles twice before. Which, like, how did this guy not get caught for that? I know. He's, like, all over the place. It took her 30 minutes to produce the combination. She wrote it down for him, and he let go of her. She asked him why he was doing this, and he responded that he was a sick person and they had hurt many people. Bocum then embraced Henry, said that she forgave him, and told him he needed help. He became enraged and grabbed her by the throat, slammed her to the floor, and then scuffled with her. Like, she's, like, being this sweetheart, just like, oh my gosh, like, it's okay, like, I forgive you, like, you got this, and that just throws him off the handle. And slams her to the floor. Yeah. Yeah. So after scuffling with her, he got her back to her feet and took her into the bedroom where he told her he wanted her to perform oral sex on him. She grabbed his penis and started pulling and scratching at him. Good for you. They began to scuffle again and Susie bit him on his shoulder and scratched his abdomen. I swear Henry was I would bite his dick off. Right? (laughs) I'd be like, Oh, you want it? Sure, you want oral? (laughs) (laughs) Bite it right off. Oh god. I literally would, though. Um, Henry was able to tighten a towel around Susie's neck until she was nearly unconscious, and then he raped her. Afterwards, he told her to put her clothes back on. He placed a towel around her neck and asked her if she had any money. She gave him the money in her purse, and he took a gold chain from around her neck, and then he strangled her to death. He took $80 from her purse, as well as her keys, her television, and her gun, she had got the gun for protection a while back when her roommate had moved out. He put in the stuff in her car and sold the television for crack. He went back to get her VCR and to make sure she was dead and sold that too. Then he went on to rape and kill Rob Brandy Henderson the same night as Tabitha just previously talked about. Um, Betty, uh, so Susie, was working hard 50 hours a week to save up to go to college uh, she was engaged at the time and had adopted a three-year-old daughter. She is described as just the nicest and sweetest girl, which, you know, all these women were described like that. And it really yeah. seems like they were, um, especially how Susie, like, tried to hug him and help him. Right. Just how these women interact with their families and with their children. 
it's just, you know, there a lot of them are young mothers, hardworking. A lot of them are going to school or putting themselves through school or trying to, to, you know, get a better future for themselves and their kids. And um, I think Henry really saw that and was just taking advantage of their yeah. kindness and, you know, really saw that and was like, oh, perfect, perfect prey. Every memorial page that I went on for these women, like, I mean, there are people that still go back and comment on these pages today of just, like, I remember her, like, she was just the sweetest, like she was hardworking and, um, it's just, I mean, you know, there's like the whole quote unquote joke of like, everyone says the nicest things about you. Like when they say, Oh, they were the nicest person kind of a thing. But these women really were like, you could just tell, like, especially when you, I mean, even just like, I don't want to say you can tell by looking at a picture of someone that they have like a sweet soul, but I feel like you can't. And like, I was looking at these pictures and picture that you posted on um if you want to see a picture of any of these women there is a picture of them posted on our instagram crimes and cocktails um and you can even just see in the pictures yeah like, just and the right so smiles yeah. yeah like their whole lives ahead of them like you know just just putting themselves through school like that like working really hard and like trying to put themselves through school i mean while being a mother in one of their yeah. cases yeah it's so heartbreaking. Uh, so when the police found Susie's body, they also noticed her car was missing, a 1988 blue Nissan Pulsar. This is the same car that Henry used to load up Brandy's and Susie's stuff and take it off to go sell and everything. So they end up finding the car actually across the street. It was just kind of tucked away somewhere from the complex. Inside the car on the floorboard was the Pringles can that had been stolen from Brandy's apartment. So this was able to definitively connect the two murders and the police were able to confirm there is a serial killer. Yeah, no shit. (laughs) No shit, Sherlock, seriously. Um, They also were able to, um, there was a half palm print on this car too. So they were able to pull that off there. So at this time, the police start warning the women of Charlotte. They go on the news or like saying, you know, acting like they fucking care at this point. Yeah. Um, And now if you remember Brandy's cousin who uh, was on the phone with her the night and he heard someone, he heard Brandy say to someone like, just lock the door behind you. Those words were kind of echoing in his head, which I imagine if I was in his shoes, I would have probably been beating myself up too. Like, yeah, like why didn't I just go? Yeah, over like there? why didn't I just go over there? Like she'd still be alive, which you can never do that. Like, you just can't do that. Um, the next day, though, he said he went to like a neighbor's house or something like that, and they had the news on. They were watching the news about Brandy and now Susie's death, and Henry Lewis Wallace was sitting there on the couch. <gasps> Yep, he's everywhere. Um, His Brandy's cousin George, he said that he had met Henry only like once before, and it was through Brandy's boyfriend, and you know he didn't really know him, but he like sits down, and you know he's still like, I think he said for him like it took really to seeing like the news of it on TV to be like this is real, this actually happened, kind of a thing. Yeah, I'm sure it was probably like a really surreal morning for him. But he said when he sits down and the news is on there and you see the gurney of her body going across the screen, 
He said that Henry put his hand on his shoulder and gave him like a pat, like, it's okay, bud. Like, I'm so sorry, kind of a pat. And George just said it just gave him like, like the ick. Like it just, yeah. he didn't, he didn't know what it was. Cause he's like, I don't even know this guy, but I don't know why that just kind of bothered me. And he said he looked over and Henry's, he said it was the strangest thing, but Henry's eyes looked like they were glowing as they were like glued to the TV screen, watching her body like go across the screen. He said he had never seen anything like it. Like it just gave him this feeling of like, is he like, he's enjoying this or like, he's really like, you know, narrowed into this, what's happening on the screen here. Yeah. And I guess Henry said, I'm so sorry what happened to your cousin. Like she was always so nice. She'd always be there, you know, just alone with her son. And you know, you'd stop by and she'd tell people just go ahead and lock the door behind you. And at that moment, it, like, clicked for George. Like, he said he had a flashback to the phone call and was mm-hmm. like, wait a second. And he just, he said he went to the police that day He and told them. He told a police officer, police officer there, he's like, hey, like, I think this guy's the killer. But whoever the police officer was just kind of blew him off at the time. It was just oh. like, mm, okay, Like they've been blowing everybody else yeah. off this entire yeah. case. Yeah. Oh, my God. Didn't that cousin, if I was that cousin, I'd be like, see how you like it, and I'd go get a towel. (laughs) (laughs) And pull his ass to jail. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Tie it around him and drag him in. All right. So the next day, 35-year-old Deborah Slaughter would be murdered. Deborah also worked at the same Bojangles as Henry's girlfriend and as Susie. (laughs) It's honestly, why is he not the Bojangles? strangler at this point if i know but if i worked at this talk because they're all people from this taco bell or this bojangles i would quit my job so fast i would be like i'm out this place is cursed there's be something uh, in the water yeah oh god okay so she worked at the same bojangles as henry's girlfriend anna Susie. Deborah lived in the Glen hollow apartments which if you remember audrey spain who was previously murdered also lived there so there was about the other thing too, like they all live in like the same apartments, Glen Hollow and Lake Apartments, yeah. and just like why are these connections not being made? So, um, and they were about a mile away from the Lake Apartments. So uh, it's at this point after Henry took her, um, uh, letting Henry into her place. Sorry, she realized that he was the strangler. She fought hard. Uh, this was the most violent attack out of all of them. Her mom had gone to check on her in the morning on March 12th. And when she knocked on the door, um, it just kind of pushed open. It wasn't latched all the way. And there on the dining room floor laid Deborah. I can't imagine being a mom and walking into that. that I know. And seeing it. And since she fought hard, it was, you know, I am sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I'll then tell you. So um, on March 14th, 1994, Dr. Sullivan performed an autopsy on Deborah's body. During the external examination, he observed a ligature around Deborah's neck and a sock balled up and stuffed in her mouth, holding her mouth open. The evidence of strangulation included the ligature around her neck and hemorrhages in thighs. So the ligature was comprised of two towels, the inner towel encircled around the neck and the outer towel tied slightly or lightly into a, uh, I'm sorry, tightly (laughs) into a single knot. Yeah. I can't get that word. Dr. Sullivan also observed blunt trauma injuries and sharp trauma injuries caused by 38 stab wounds in the chest and abdomen. 
15 of which individually could have been fatal. Just overkill. Yeah. Dr. Uh, Sullivan, um, his opinion was that Deborah's death was caused by multiple stab wounds with strangulation as contributing factor in the death, which I'd say so as well. Yeah. Henry had gone over to Deborah's house to do drugs with her, but when she said she didn't have any because she was trying to make her money stretch until payday, he realized she had money. Yeah, just like green light. So, oh, wait. Oh, so you're so saving. you have money. Yeah. Fuck. So he asked her for something to drink, and when she turned around, he wrapped a towel around her. The In fact that, moment, that he, like, he does that with all these women. Oh, can you get me something? Or can you, like, do this? Just so they have their back, because he doesn't have the, like... He can't do it when they're facing yeah. him. Or, like, he has to get the surprise on him. Oh, my gosh. It's... So as soon as he wrapped the towel around her, she knew obviously she knew what was going on in the area so she knew like oh my god it's been him he told her to perform oral sex on him she refused and fought back he strangled her enough until she passed out and raped her then he took the knife from her purse after dumping it to grab bunny and stabbed her multiple times he then wiped the knife put it back in her purse he said she was screaming for the police and kicking her legs on the ground to alert neighbors until he had finally strangled her enough for her to lose consciousness yeah. Yeah. And I think, like, I think that uh, I read that he knew that she always carried, like, a little pocket knife in her purse. So, like, he, he also, yeah, like, did that. Yeah. Um, so, at this time, Brandy's boyfriend was giving a list to the police of names that he knew Brandy would, you know, trusted and would let into the apartment. Mm-hmm. One of those names was Henry Lewis Wallace. Um, after checking the list, they kind of went down the list just to see if anyone had a criminal background. They were able to pick up Henry's criminal background and narrow in Mm -hmm. on him. In his mugshot, one of the detectives who was working on Vanessa Mack's case, so like we said, they were working on all these different cases, right? And... Not apparently couldn't see any parallel but here Isn't they all of a sudden they all could. work at bojangles and taco bell <laughs> yeah. what a coincidence yeah like so many oh my gosh um but oh, i guess man. like he was working vanessa max case and he noticed um in henry's mug shot that he had an earring a gold hoop earring with a cross on it that matched the exact one that was in that atm photo which to me is also like, you know, like in TV shows, I know it's not like the TV shows, but in TV shows, they have yeah. like the murder walls and things like that. And like, so I was like, oh, wait, that guy looks like so-and-so. And I'm like, it almost feels like it's that situation. Like going to get coffee. What are you working on? Oh, wait, wait a second. That guy has the same hoop cross earring kind of a thing. And I'm like, yeah, how come you guys couldn't do this on? Wait a second. Your person was also strangled with a towel or worked at Bojangles or knew this person or, or lived, lived in, in this the, complex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't want to say that I could do a police's job. And obviously I couldn't, but like, <laughs> I mean, in this these case, moms are making the connections. I think I could. It's just like, I don't understand. I really don't. And they're never going to let us understand because they are going to cover themselves, you know? Yeah. Um, The police were able, and like I said, they had also found a partial palm print on Susie's car. So they also ran that print and they were able to match it to Henry because he was already in the system. So... 
Deborah Slaughter's body had been found about 2 p.m. on March 12, 1994. Three hours later, they were able to identify Henry's location and arrest him. <laughs> this all happened, like, so quickly. It just... In one in one of the articles, I was like, oh, Henry just started making mistakes. And I'm like, I don't feel like he was that slick of a dude, though, to like, no, not I have don't had think mistakes so earlier. So I don't know. Um, so they arrested him. He was like him. cracked out the entire yeah, time. Yeah, that's everything, too. Was that like, like, this guy's a drug addict. And yeah. I don't know. It's just crazy. And also, like, wouldn't you notice that there's. I don't know, this guy's, like, somehow connected to all of these women, too. Like, it's just weird. Like, that would be, like, if they had interviewed, you know, let's interview all the known people that, you know, are part of her life or whatever, something like that. I'm sure this guy's name would have popped up several times. So, whether it was, like, oh, a coworker, a boss, boyfriend's friend, like, ex-boyfriend or friend's boyfriend or something like that. It just doesn't make any sense. So he was read as Miranda writes, um, you know, he's down at the station. They had different detectives going in there and trying to get him to talk. They're telling him, listen, dude, it's over. Here's all the evidence, yada, yada and stuff. And he keeps saying like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about until one detective, Tony Rice enters and he asks Henry if he can pray with him, which interesting approach. Yeah. So Henry says, okay. So they sit down and they actually hold hands and they pray for like a you know short prayer. And then after that, then Rice says, he asks Henry, are you ready to talk? And at that time, Henry just says, um, you know, can I get a piece of paper? And they give him the piece of paper and he starts writing names. Now, the police see the first three to four names that they were already suspecting but then he keeps writing names and they're like, wait a second. Ugh. Like, and it goes up to 11 names and they're like, what the fuck? So he confessed to murdering 11 women. He confessed to the murders of 33 year old Sharon Nance, 20, 20 year old Shauna Hawk, 33 year old Audrey Spain, 21 year old Valencia Jumper, 20 year old Michelle Stinson, 24-year-old Vanessa Mack and the missing Caroline Love. And then he also admitted to the murder back home in South Carolina of 18-year-old Tashonda. And I found out it's pronounced Bethay. I was pronouncing it wrong. Oh. Uh, So, yeah. Um, He actually took the police back. uh, He took the police to the site in the forest where he had buried Caroline Love. Um, Because he said, you know, like, I murdered her too. And at that point, the police still thought she was a missing person. Like, they didn't even realize she was murdered. They were just like, oh, yeah, didn't she, like, run away or something like that? Because that makes <laughs> sense. Like, oh, no, what everyone does. And he's like, no. And, and then I guess they asked him, like, well, do you think you remember? And he's like, I remember because I go to it often. So he would go there a lot to, like, oh visit it, make sure it hadn't been disturbed. And then I guess, like, when police, you know, had, like, missing papers and stuff going out for Caroline mm-hmm. uh, Love – Someone said, like, oh, you know, the last thing she was wearing was, like, this orange, like, outfit, this orange jumper. And so he, like, went back to where he buried her and took that orange jumper off so that no one, like, passing through the forest would see it or something like that. Yeah. (sighs) He's the worst. (laughs) All right. On January 7th, 1997, 
the jury found Wallace guilty of nine counts of first-degree murder, each on the basis of malice, premeditation, and deliberation, and under the felony murder rule. In addition, the jury found Wallace guilty of eight counts of first-degree rape, one count of second-degree rape, two counts of first-degree sexual offense, two counts of second-degree sexual offense, one count of assault with a deadly weapon, (laughs) which just keeps going, one count of assault on a child under the age of 12, and five counts of robbery with dangerous weapon. The jury recommended a sentence of death for each of the nine counts of first-degree murder. On January 29, 1997, the trial court entered judgment in accordance with the recommendations and sentenced Wallace to nine death sentences. In addition, the trial court sentenced Wallace for his other convictions. He had not yet been tried for Tashonda's murder in South Carolina. Um... On January 29, 1997, Henry Lewis Wallace, after being handed nine death sentences, who had not said, and he had not said a word during his trial, apologized to the families of his victims. Reading from a three-page statement, he said, none of these women, none of your daughters, mothers, sisters, or family members in any way deserved what they got. They did nothing to me that warranted their death. Superior Court Judge Robert Johnston then handed Wallace 10 more life sentences, plus 322 years for 20 other crimes. So he (laughs) uh, got his sentencing uh, a lot. They (laughs) did. um, I mean, like, he he confessed to everything. I don't think he was ever trying to... Say he wasn't. Yeah, Yeah. say he wasn't guilty or disputed, but... Just they still had like during the trial and everything like that. They did like a um, like a psychosocial profile of him. They had childhood friends come and talk, neighbors, teachers, clinical mm-hmm. psychologists. Um, they were they did diagnose him with five mental illnesses, um, which I totally believe that yeah. um, does not justify or like make excuses or anything for what he did, but. I, I will say, like, you know, I always, I always, my heart always breaks for the child that grows up, but when they grow up and then they choose to do these things, like, it's, yes you know. Yeah, you, I don't think we, any of us can say he didn't, like, he had a horrible childhood, obviously, um, but a lot of people have horrible yeah. childhoods and don't do this, and yep. that's just what I always go back to, because... Yep you're at that point making your decision on who you want to be ruined 11 women's futures their children's futures their families their friends like yeah uh that mom who uh d sumter um Mm -hmm. she actually said that after shauna's death like henry had come and like he had run into I think they had run into each other like on the street somewhere and he was like offering like his condolences and gave her a hug. And she said that that just like now to know what she knows and be like, Oh my gosh, like he hugged me. Yeah. And even though he's the one who did it and he knew he did it. And I'm like, ugh, yeah, like he definitely had, you know, addiction and mental illness, but he also knew what he was doing was wrong and yeah, it's fucked up. Like, yeah, it wasn't like he was criminally insane. Yeah, no. And even if you are, then you need to be locked up still. So. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, it doesn't you don't get it out because of it. Yeah. So, Henry sentenced and already in prison, and you know how it goes, you get lonely in there when women say he sounds like husband material because he's already locked up. <laughs> 
So <laughs> he won't be cheating on me. He won't be no cheating on me. <laughs> That's what you think. Um, okay. <laughs> on June 5th, 1998, which is just like, this is like a year after he was sentenced, by the way, which is what? Like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. Uh, Henry and a former prison nurse who probably needs to be institutionalized herself. Rebecca Torrijas were married. The happy couple met at prison. Yay. That's where I need to go, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you got a lot of options, but I don't know how good those options options. are. (laughs) They met prior to his trial, which is just, like, ridiculous to me. Like, that means he wasn't even, like in that long you know what i mean like he had just kind of gotten arrested and put in there and whatever yeah and they like had a relationship and then they the um sorry the prison found out about it and fired her rightfully so yeah and then they still got married yeah then they get married later (laughs) like oh my gosh so this dude's a charmer because like what the fuck but we already knew that because all these women trusted him like yeah his whole life they're um you know, in high school, he was well-liked by people. Like, he just... He and he'd was, had that wife before. And, yeah. He was yeah. just a charmer. <clears throat> so, yeah. Their uh, ceremony took place to the at the lovely venue of the execution chamber at Raleigh Central Prison. Which sounds like a nightmare, but also probably a hell of a lot cheaper than your wedding, Katie. <laughs> Probably this is what I should have done. I feel like should have called the <laughs> prisons here. <laughs> so like, you got any options next to the execution chamber? <laughs> like, we're really thinking we really want to strike some fear in our guests' hearts. <laughs> like, oh no, ridiculous! They were allowed to talk for alone for twenty minutes after their wedding, uh, before he was brought back in, which I doubt they were talking, but. It's also just like they shouldn't even have got she that. She not alone, and how is she not terrified to be alone with him? This man yeah. like literally raped and murdered eleven women. I imagine her like getting the area set up, and she was just like, "Okay, well, we'll have a little champagne." Well, we know he wants oral. Here's some chocolate <laughs> strawberries. Make sure all the towels are hidden, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah if we don't want towels as wedding presents. No towels. Yes, <laughs> no towels. Not even monogrammed ones. <laughs> so, yeah. So, Henry was about 32 at this time. Rebecca was in her 50s. Um, yeah, I guess one of Henry's diver- uh, defense attorneys was actually one of the attendees and was also their wedding photographer. <laughs> Sounds like a really <laughs> swinging event. So, yeah. So, obviously, since his, se- his sentencing, even though Henry, like, admitted to all of this like i feel like he came to like some moment of clarity or something but short-lived because he has tried to get his death sentence overturned um he claims his confession was coerced and his rights were violated and yeah so well you know who didn't have rights were the women that you stole their lives from so yeah fuck you um, all of his attempts have thankfully been rejected. His last attempt was in 2005, just like almost 20 years ago. So Yeah, I don't know if he's given up or what. <laughs> I don't know. Is Rebecca still around? <sighs> yeah, she, I don't know. 
I couldn't find anything like about 80 that. or something like that. I know. Is. She probably, I mean, I feel like he just wanted like a sugar mama. He's like, I need to get those cigarettes. And that top ramen. She's <laughs> jobless. She got fired. On his commissary. <laughs> I know. <laughs> right? That's also like, oh my gosh. So like there was one time where I was just, wasn't for myself. Like I was just like, what the fuck? People actually make profiles. And I went on like a website. <laughs> <laughs> just because I was like curious. I'm like, I want to know what these websites look like. And they're hilarious. There's like the girls do them too. And they'll be like, um, what do they call them? Like badass babes in bars. Like behind bars, <laughs> babes and stuff like that. Like I'm not like, it's a ridiculous website. And uh, you should definitely spend some time going on there because it's a good laugh, but it's also like scary. (laughs) But apparently these websites are built, quote unquote, not for romantic relationships. Mm -hmm. It's just for pen palling like prisoners, but it's like we all know that. And I'm always, like, curious, like, who sets these up? How does this even, like, happen? Like, who's getting these pictures? It looks like a really old MySpace website. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, from my family members who have been in jail, um, they do have, like, when they're out, like, allowed out. And I'm sure every prison's different, but they're allowed out for a certain amount of hours a day to, like, kind of watch TV and, you know, do whatever their thing is. And they, there's computers. Like, the computers are heavily monitored, but there are computers. So um, they probably set up their own profiles on these websites. <laughs> Let's see. So this one's meetaninmate.com. Connecting inmates <laughs> with pen pals since 1998. We've got I the newest my... men. Oh. We've got ladies. Um, I'll just pick this one right here. Nathaniel, age 27. Uh, he's got like a sh- picture of him shirtless. <laughs> Looking for some conversation. Love to grow my mind and develop myself more. I'm super down to earth and I'm funny. My mom says I have a great smile. <laughs> I would love to think more. And with a little exposure here, I need some real people. Um, I would love to challenge my mind and get some outside exposure to life and new developing. I hope to hear from you soon. And it does not say what they're in for. You probably have to. I mean, I know that they give their like um, inmate number. So yeah, you probably look it up or something like that. Yeah. It does say like when they come out too. So it's, it says oh my when... God. I found one and this guy's actually at Folsom State Prison. <laughs> My name is Ed. I'm currently at Old Folsom State Prison. I'm thankful that you have recognized this page, and I hope you continue to read. I believe that no one should ever be defined by their worst moment in life. I took another person's life. Oh, my God. I am, yeah, and I am genuinely remorseful. I cannot turn back the hands of time. I cannot give back to a victim's family what I have taken from them. At the time that I committed this crime, I had no clue as to the amount of pain that I would cause his family, my family, and the community that I left behind. I invite you to get to know me as I am today. I am a loving, kind, caring, compassionate, and understanding person. I am humbled by my failures, quick to learn from my mistakes, and recognize my shortcomings. If you're interested in getting to know about me, please feel free to drop me a new a few lines, and I will respond as soon as I can. Thank you for your time. He's a Sagittarius. Wow. Um, <laughs> he's single. Um, he's straight. Um, he's not willing to talk to anybody outside of the U.S., though. Um, and he's not seeking prayer partners, <laughs> but he does want some legal help if you have it. Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> His uh, earliest release date is 
2038. But he's not on death row. He's been in since 2004, serving a life sentence. Huh. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'm going to judge that one by the cover. <laughs> yeah, but if you want to talk to Ed, um, his inmate number is F53375. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my Some God. Some of the girl ones are pretty intense, too. We won't waste your time with those ones, but they're just... It's kind of it's kind of uh it's kind of funny to go on those things. We'll you know? do maybe we'll do a single shot at some point for our patrons and we'll read some of these. Yeah. <laughs> you know though, like God bless oh, though man. the people though not not the people that date people in prison, like come no. on. But the people that go do like some kind of like activities there or like do show prisoners kindness, like God bless those people, we need them. I just am not for you going on one of these websites to find a spouse. Like, yeah, do not do that. You deserve better. (laughs) Yeah, you deserve better. You can do better. So just, oh, my gosh. So our sources for this case were a lot. Um, The Charlotte Observer, Murderpedia, the Wallace versus Polk Court case text, abc.com, newspapers.com momocares.org that's that site that's talking about the mothers of murdered offspring it's a really great site if you want to support them or anything like that uh findagrave.com is cinemaholic the oklahoma state university 2004 case study of henry lewis wallace medium.com uh crime library charlotte pd the news observer and abc 2020 season 44 episode 23 I believe in that episode they actually go on to interview him, and it's pretty interesting to watch. Literally, I told Kate, I was like, this could easily be like a three or four parter thing, but we're not going to do that. So, um, but he has been someone kind of like Ed Kemper in a way where he was just really open to talking like about it and what was going through his head and everything. So, um, a lot of like FBI and stuff like that have you utilized a lot of those conversations to like kind of help build you know their research and such so but it's it's a horrible it's a horrible horrible i don't i don't even know what to say like it's just case honestly <laughs> cases <Yeah>. so <clears throat> but yeah that is the Life and Crimes of Henry Lewis Wallace, the quote-unquote Taco Bell Strangler, who also frequented Bojangles. <laughs> right? <laughs> Bojangles Baron. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Taco Bell Strangler. Oh, that's it. All right. Ugh. Well, it's been a long one. It's been intense. Maybe go make your margarita a double, and we will catch you next time. We are starting a new series that's not in the fast food, so... Ciao. <laughs> Bye. Ciao. 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 Ciao.